What a weekend it was. The sun was shining. It was Easter time, early April. The footy was interesting. It was great. It was diabolical. It was everything in between. Hi, everybody. This is Warren Smith and Matt Russell on You Can Take Me Now. I have seen it all. And Matty, dragons and knights, you were down there at Wollongong. What an afternoon. My goodness, how good can it get? Sunday, the sun was shining, as we mentioned. Beautiful warm conditions and a, oh, almost a full house. Was We have the best job in the world, don't we? We normally smile when we go to work to cover the footy, but I was beaming as I drove to Wynn Stadium and saw families parking 10 blocks away, mum, dad, the kids, adorned in their predominantly red Vs, few sprinkling of Newcastle jerseys thrown in. But look, that ground with, as it's been called in rugby league parlance, Wollongong Ocean, rolling into the shore at City Beach beside the ground, big house, good footy. It was just a wonderful afternoon. And topping it off, you know, Mark Gaznia, who's played around Australia, indeed around the world, says that the surface at Wynn Stadium in Wollongong is number one in the world. And I said, you serious? You know, you've played a lot of big stadiums. He goes, Matty, this is the best ground in the world. That's enough for me. That's a big call because I've seen some pretty good... You go up to Townsville and one three hundred Smiles Stadium. The surface up there is like a bowling green at times. That's a big call by Gaz, but he knows his grass. He's a bit of a golfer. I, like, went, I went through them all, was, you know, nah, North Queensland... Amy Park in Melbourne, Seabus Super, they're all perfect. It looks like you could yeah. eat your dinner off them. Let's face it, these days all the grounds look good, but there are some that are slightly above the others. And I, I challenged Gaz. I said, what about those grounds that we've just mentioned? He said, no, nope, this surface here is the best. He might be a little bit biased, of course. Oh, I, I wondered that. There is every chance. <laughs> the Dragons, they are playing some astounding football at the moment. They're putting teams quite literally to the sword. And I know we mentioned this probably last week and the week before. Um, their fans have been through this. They were six out of seven last year. They know, I guess they're all holding their breath, not perhaps waiting for the bubble to burst, but you know, there'll be a little bit of trepidation waiting to see what happens once we get around to like Anzac Day, I think in particular, which is about three weeks down the track, and then maybe Origin as well because they'll have players missing the way they're going. Um, they might have a couple of players missing for the perhaps the Denver Test, New Zealand versus England. I think the Denver Test, I think it's going to head. I, I don't know. We'll talk about that at some stage, maybe this week or next. But... They're playing phenomenal football, and I think there's a bit, there's something different about them this year. Ben Hunt, I think, just that there's no question marks around about the halfback role. They're very settled. Everybody knows what they're doing. They're on the same page, a bit like the West Tigers. There's a lot to be said to, for a, having a happy camp. Everybody is just playing for each other, trusting each other, what they're doing on the field, and it's working a treat. Yeah, they've bought, obviously, Ben Hunt, James Graham. But aside from getting those two individuals, I would argue those two individuals have made others around them even better. So you buy two, but you make four, six, eight players better. And, you know, they're averaging 34.5 points per game. They've scored more points through the first month than any other team in the competition. But what stood out to me, I called them in Toowoomba, and I called them in Wollongong, and I've seen their other games. Their line speed, in defence, they use their D to attack. They are whacking opposition teams. And uh, therefore, the opposition teams are struggling to get go forward and using that defence to attack. Ultimately, they seem to spend most of the game on the front foot, the sort of situation that Gareth Widdop and Ben Hunt love. Yeah, well, yeah, 4-0 and and along with the Warriors, who are also 4-0. and I can't wait for those two teams to meet uh, down the track. But um, 
they're just killing them at the moment. And it's exciting to see this you know, new guard, the changing of the order as far as you know, the Roosters aren't at the top of the table, Melbourne aren't at the top of the table, the Broncos aren't there, the Sharks are down mid-table as well. There is a real feeling that after we've seen it, I guess, what, five years? Well, Melbourne have been at the top forever. Let's just you know put that to bed. But I think there's a real change of the guard as far as those teams, and I don't think it's a, a it's, I don't think it's a bubble. I don't think the Tigers are going away. The Dragons certainly aren't going away. Well, the Warriors, if they were going to go away, it was going to be on the weekend when they didn't have Sean Johnson, but they just killed the Roosters. Um, they're the real deal as well, and I think the Panthers are also. I think it's exciting for the league to have this turnover of teams. Um, you don't want it every year, I guess, because you like to see teams get their window and stay at the top and try and get their chance to win the premiership. And that's exciting in itself, especially for their fans, quite obviously. But I think it's a, it's a great comp, the way things shape up after the first month. Well, let's go through the top eight. St. Georgie Lawara on top. Warriors unbeaten in second. That's a shock. Then you've got Penrith, given what was said about them pre-season with player movements and supposed unrest between coach and team. They're third, so that's a surprise. West Tigers, who many people had at 0-5, given mm. their tough start draw-wise. They sit fourth. That's a shock. Manly... They're in fifth, followed by Melbourne in sixth. That's a surprise they're not higher. And then you go down to the Roosters in seventh and South Sydney in eighth. So there are multiple surprises across that top eight. Who on earth could have predicted that top eight before round one? Not on your life. <laughs> no. I mean, not a chance. I mean, seriously, to have the... You know, the Dragons, you could say, well, that, yeah, sure, they're going to improve. But the Warriors... The Panthers would be better than most people thought. There was so much talk about them in the preseason, losing Bryce Cartwright and Matt Moylan, obviously, and all this so-called drama between Anthony Griffin and Phil Gould, and Phil Gould taking a stronger hand as far as the coaching was concerned. You know, if that's the case, and it is, like Phil has certainly done more on the paddock in the lead-up to this competition, and I'm guess, guessing during the week as well, but that can't be a bad thing, can it? No. He knows a bit about the game. Exactly. You might not be a Phil Gould fan as far as what he does, you know, and his media commitments and whatever else, or whether you're a, you know, a Queenslander and Queenslanders don't like Phil Gould because of what he did for New South Wales as coach, but the bloke knows a bit about football. So if he's there on the paddock, you know, helping out with Anthony Griffin, then that can't be a bad thing for the Panthers. Now, I want to go back to the Dragons and the Knights because I know you're a, you're a massive Dragons fan. I mean, you're a cheerleader for the Dragons. I hear it in your commentary uh, all the time. You're just cheering, yes. cheering, hoping for the Dragons to win, aren't you? Oh, yes, that's right. And you know what? I had fans remind me of the fact that I was a Dragons fan again this week. <laughs> Guess what, fans? You are 100% wrong. I might live in the gong. I might like a lot of the St. George Illawarra players, both past and present, but I am not a St. George Illawarra fan. But, fans, if your team is un uh, unbeaten through the first month, averaging 34.5 points and playing great footy. Yes, I'm going to talk them up, but apparently that makes me a Dragons fan was. And you know what? I also called a basketball grand final on Saturday night. Who are you cheering for Melbourne there? beat Adelaide. And guess what Adelaide fans think? Oh, Matt Russell's a Melbourne fan. No, they're about to win their first championship. They're leading by 18 points. They've come up with a monster jam and three three-pointers. All of a sudden, I support Melbourne. Get it through your heads. We're excited <laughs> about the team and the sport they are playing and the performance they're putting in, it doesn't necessarily make us a fan of that team. The best bit is, given the beauty of social media, there's the immediate feedback you can get from fans, and I've had it. We love it. I've called a Storm and Cowboys game and had fans of either team getting into me on Twitter (laughs) saying, it's just so 
obvious that you're a Melbourne fan. We know you love Billy Slater and Cameron Smith. Can you talk them up anymore? And then in the same game, I've had Melbourne Storm fans into me about how I love Jonathan Thurston and the Cowboys, and I'm obviously a big North Queensland fan in the very same game. So it shows you that, yes, fans, obviously they're going to have their bias towards their team and they want their team to do well, but it also shows you they hear commentary a lot of the times through their fandom. And if you're talking about the other team and talking them up because they're playing well, score, you know, in the basketball case, dunks, jams, three-pointers, whatever else, suddenly a lot of fans, and it, I think it's a bit, would be a surprising amount, we should get some feedback. Go on to our little um, our iTunes uh, review page on where you get the podcast from and leave comments about this fact. But I think it would be a surprising amount of fans don't probably realise that they listen to the game through their own fandom, their own support of their team. And anything other than talk about their team in a positive light is seen as obvious bias on the part of the commentators. And we love that passion. That's what keeps the game going. You need passionate fans. I actually wish I had more passion for an individual team. But by virtue of the fact that my club, my boyhood club, West's Magpies, don't exist in the NA. NRL anymore. I'm left without a team to support. And as a result, in my job now, it actually suits me quite well because I never watch a game where I want one team to win more than the other. But I understand that passion. They're on the lounge, maybe three or four cans in. Their team's struggling. The other team does something well. We scream and and laud that performance and it comes across like we're having a go at them. It's not the case, but I understand it. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly not the case because you're in the commentary box. You're only... Your only commitment is to call in the game as clearly and concisely as you can. And you're there reflecting on plays. You obviously, when you know a team goes on a run and scores two or three tries in a row, you're pretty excited about what you're seeing and talking that team up because obviously they're playing well. But the moment you do that, there are fans of the other team who just think, well, they've got it in for us and I knew that they've... They'll accuse you of having money on games and betting on the other team. I can tell everybody here, point blank, I've never bet on a rugby league game I've called. I don't bet total. Mm. I don't know. It's a betting world at the moment. I don't bet on horses, on football, anything. I just don't bet outright. And you know what? I'm a long way in front as a <laughs> result. Yes. Um, so there's no bias from a point of view of betting on it. I'm certainly not cheering for any team. Now, I'll put my hand up. I grew up as a Balmain Tigers fan. A lot of people would know that who um, watch football because at different times on different shows, that's been mentioned. Um, Vossi back in the old days on Channel 9 when he was doing boots and all showed vision of me in the crowd at a game between the Tigers, Balmain Tigers and the South Sydney Rabbitohs and the Tigers scored. And Yeah, I'm there with my binoculars in hand. <laughs> I was a nerd back even in 1988 when the first year the football stadium opened up and I'm cheering for a Tigers try. So, and... You know, if you do what we do, at some point growing up, you're a fan because we all come from somewhere as far as our fandom, our support of a team is concerned. So, yes, I was a Balmain Tigers fan. Uh, They happened to merge with the West Magpies. I played in the West Magpies Juniors for the Granville Diggers. So I guess as far as that's concerned, it was a bit of a natural fit for me. But if I'm calling the West Tigers, I'm just calling the West Tigers. 
I'm not cheering for them because, trust me, they have stunk the joint up for a long, long time. And if I was a West Tigers fan, after all these years watching them get their backside handed to them for so long, I'd be pretty morose during the commentary. (laughs) But that's not the way it is because I'm there calling for the neutral fan. I'm not calling for the Tigers fans. I'm not calling for the Eels fans yesterday. I'm calling, I guess, for the neutral fan, playing it right down the middle. And you may perceive that at different times I'm biased towards one team or another. That's certainly not the approach you take. Because I think if you, if you are biased, I think it's extremely obvious if mm. you're biased. Mm. Yeah, and if anything, sometimes you, you, you might be aware that because you live in the gong, people are going to see you as being a, a, a Dragons flag waver. And if anything, you almost go try and counter against that. But I, I, I try and even block that out. Just call the game. You, you summed it up perfectly there, was. But I will come back to one thing you said. Uh, if you want to start backing the racehorses, come and see me. I'll point out plenty of slow ones here. Because <laughs> you backed those ones? <laughs> yes. I find them with an uncanny knack. The best thing that ever happened to me was I got involved doing what I do and working on weekends covering sport, which meant I couldn't go to the races anymore. And I used to be a bit of a punter as a, you know, a young bloke, as, as lots of young blokes are. You, you play sport, you're involved in sport, you go to the pub, you have a bet on horses, you go to the races. Um, but suddenly working in the media, and I've been doing this since... Basically 1990, 1991, around about that summer then. Um, yeah, that's the best part of 30 years. And it's, yeah. it's, it's stopped me cold pretty much. And I know as a result... You're I'm, much better I, off. I'm massively <laughs> in front. Yeah, that's right. That's why you own part of that uh, consortium down there on the Harbour at Brangaroo, don't you? Those three big buildings going <laughs> yeah. up. The Warren Smith Tower. That's me. I've got the middle <laughs> one. The, just the, the, one, the second sort of tallest one. Yeah, me and James are t- halves in that one. Um, so that's it as far as commentary is concerned. We, we've established that you're not a Dragons fan. You're not a Melbourne United fan when it comes to basketball. No, I'm a basketball and league fan. Is that enough? Yeah, that's, that's all that matters. Uh, are you a referees fan? Uh, you know what? I am at the moment. because, I, And I understand that games with 30 penalties aren't ideal. But the people who are issuing the instructions are charged with leading the game, looking after the game, and making the game better for generations down the track. Now, for too long, we've turned a blind eye to laying in the ruck and too many ruck infringements to players being six or seven or eight metres offside repeatedly or giving away penalties on their own goal line. I could go on and on and on. And if those bosses of the league have decided enough's enough, and if we're going to do our job properly, we need to look after the game, then maybe we do need to have a few weeks of pain for some long-term gain. And really, it just comes down to who blinks first. Referees don't change a thing. Coaches and players change. Get on side. Get off the tackled player. Play rugby league as it is meant to be played. And ultimately, in our role as commentators, we will see a much better game. Yeah, we will because we saw a couple of, well, I've got to admit, I didn't see the Rabbitohs Bulldogs live as it happened, but I certainly did the Sharks and the Storm following that and was keeping across what was happening between the Bunnies and the Bulldogs. And obviously there was a lot of penalties in that game. That was eclipsed uh, pretty comfortably by what happened down there at Shark Park uh, between the Sharks and the Storm um, immediately afterwards. And I didn't know what to make of that game. I was starting to lose it a little bit towards the end of the game because I was a bit frustrated given there were so many penalties, um, especially in that last 10 minutes, that I thought Matt Checken should have said, OK, look, we've reached a point here where... You're not, you're not taking any notice of what's happening with penalties, so I'm, I'm just going to fire you to the bin, you're going to the bin, and it might be 11 versus 11, but you know I'll get somewhere here. 
Um, I thought they waited too long to do that. I know there was a sin bin for either team in that game, but for one was for dissent, one was for a professional foul, so there wasn't quite for repeated penalties. And I thought they waited too long to use the sin bin, or you know, as it turns out, didn't use the sin bin for repeated infringements. Um, so I was a bit, I was a bit dirty on Matt Checken for that because I think they can they can do better from that point of view. But if teams learn. And I think over the you know the rest of the weekend, you could say teams are starting to learn. I know people, the cynics will say, well, there was an obvious reaction because we couldn't continue to have what happened on Friday in both those games over the rest of the weekend. So somebody at the league got to the refs and said to them, no more, cut it back, we're getting hammered, let's just try and rein it in a little bit. Well, I can tell you that didn't happen. And I can tell you that point, just point blank, because I spoke to Michael Maguire who's in charge of the referees from a football perspective, along with Bernard Sutton, on Saturday morning. He rang me. He was proactive, and he rang me, and he said, I want to just have a chat about you know, last night and what you think so far. And I said, well, Matty, you know, I sat in the car park at, outside Sharks Lease Club after the game where we park for 20 minutes, half an hour afterwards, because you can't, basically you can't get out of there. Mm. That's one thing. If, if you do a game at Shark Park and there's a decent-sized crowd, they block off... Captain Cook drive out the front, so you can't come out of there and turn right to go home. You've got to go by Kernell and then Wander and North Cronulla and Cronulla, and you just, you know, you sit in the traffic for 45 minutes and you basically go nowhere in the long run. So I sat in the car just sort of, and I was a bit numb. I didn't know what to make of 33, 34, 35 penalties and what that means for the game in general. The one thing I did know is it isn't great for the game. If that, you know, if that was the case in every game, well, you know, rugby league would shrink dramatically to what it is now and fans would fall away and ratings would drop dramatically as well. So I knew it wasn't great, but I knew it's some of the short-term pain for the long-term gain we need. And it was summed up pretty well, I think, by Aaron Wallace, who does most of our stats here at, at Fox Sports in the Fox Sports Lab. He said, the penalty situation is like this. It's like mowing your grass. If you mow the grass regularly and keep on top of things, it doesn't take that long to do. and It's pretty easy. He said, if you don't mow the grass for ages, the grass gets really long and it's a pain in the ass to mow the grass suddenly. He said, the NRL hasn't mown the grass for 10 years in regards to penalties. And that's pretty much the case, isn't it? Like, they've just let things go. You've been able to plant the ball on the ground without rising to your feet. You've been able to cheat in the play the ball itself. If you're the defender, you've been able to put a hand on the ball. You've been able to grip and re-grip and try and slow things down. There's the wrestle. There's all manner of things that have happened and have been let go in the name of trying to limit penalties for what is perceived to be a more free-flowing, um, penalty-free game. And pe- small penalty counts supposedly equate, in some people's eyes, to a free-flowing, attractive game of rugby league. But I reckon in more than half the fans' view, what it does, it leads to a scrappy, messy ugly game at times, which we've seen, I think, in previous seasons, where we have low scoring, it's gritty, it's grinding, it's close, I'll give it that, mm. scores aren't that are ever going to blow out in that sort of game, but it's not the sort of a football I think we can get back to, you know, rugby league was fantastic back in the early 90s, when it was Brisbane and Canberra playing an unbelievable brand of football, the two teams they had, full, chock full of stars, and the footy was pretty terrific. And I think we can see more of that style of football eventually once we get through this short-term pain. So the key there is for consistency across the games, they're all adjudicated the same way. And on top of that, as you said, for the referees to stay at it and actually get tougher. So yeah. Matt Jakin should have sent more players to the bin I've got no on doubt. Saturday night, which yeah. would have 
essentially been taking an even tougher stance. Yep. Uh, so in isolation, yes, you could argue that the games are being destroyed, if you can use that word, by the penalty spike at the moment. But let's hope that by uh, eight weeks into the comp, we're back to where we should be. You know, already on that Sunday afternoon game in Wollongong, there was eight or there were eight first half penalties, way down what we saw right. the previous night. And again, yesterday I did the Tigers and the Eels, and there, I think there was eleven games for the entire game, uh, penalties rather yep. for the entire game. So. There you go. Um, and people will say, well, see, they've got to them and they've eased up and they're letting things go that they weren't letting go on Friday night. But Well, did know, they yesterday? You called the game. Did, were, were players getting away with being offside or infringing in the ruck uh, repeatedly in comparison with earlier on in the weekend? Or maybe they'd cop the tip and started to behave themselves. Well, I think you're right because, funnily enough, having spoken to Michael Maguire for half an hour plus on Saturday morning off the back of Friday night on the phone, I saw him in the flesh. After the game yesterday, he was there taking a look at what was happening. And he said, from his perspective, he said the Tigers were incredible with the way they got back defensively. He said, not only were they back the 10 with the referee, he said, their front foot. He said, so many times, the entire line across the field, the front foot of each defender was actually behind where the referee's feet were to make sure there was no way they could be pinged for being offside. And I know uh, Buzz Rothfield, Phil Rothfield from the Daily Telegraph on NRL 360 last night was talking to Paul Kent about this very issue and said, how can the Tigers go from giving away 18 penalties against the Melbourne Storm to only giving away a handful yesterday against the Parramatta Eels? Well, they've had two weeks. They've had two weeks to adjust. And maybe the Melbourne Storm had them under pressure. A lot of those penalties in that game against Melbourne came inside the 20 on their own line where they were under pressure, where we know teams would give away penalties. But yesterday against the Eels, the Tigers had 62% of the ball in the first half. They were under no pressure mm. for the vast majority of that first half. I mean, I think the Eels had three tackles inside the Tigers' 20 in the opening 40 minutes. So it's hard. You can't say from round two to round four because circumstances change. The game itself, the way it's played, changes. Teams can be under pressure or they can be on top, and that will dictate how many penalties you give away. So I don't see the fact that the referees have eased up on the Tigers from 18 penalties against Melbourne to only a handful yesterday against the Eels. That's just the circumstances of the game and maybe that team getting better at not giving away penalties by being back behind the referee, by making sure they get their foot on the ball, by doing all those little things that are being picked up at the moment. Um, so that's, that's the way I see it progressing, and I'm hoping that's the way it will continue to progress. Yeah, my final statement on this is that despite the spike in penalties, all the coaches I've heard interviewed over the weekend have not been ref-bashing. They've been saying, basically, in support of it, we need to stay at it, and if we stay at it and are consistent with it, then the game will be better off. Shane Flanagan, Craig Bellamy, especially uh, Wayne uh, Bennett, all in support of what we're doing. Yeah, and I was talking to... Um, the commentary boys, um, uh, sorry, Brandy Alexander and, and Braithen, I had to think back to who was with me. <laughs> it seems a long time ago and you do three games over the course of a weekend. But Brandy and Braith said, how do you see the game? We always say, you know, what do you think's going to happen tonight? And I said, it'll be 8-4. I said, I don't know who will win, but this game will be 8-4. Because it's the Sharks, it's the Storm, it's the way they play. It'll be tough, it'll be grinding, it'll be ugly at times. It won't be an attractive game of footy. I know that much. I don't know who will win, mm. but I said it will be four penalty goals to two. There well, it turns go. out I was close. It was only one try in the entire game. 14-4. You weren't far Take off. Take out the try, yeah. it would have been eight points to four. So, it was. All, I mean, it always had that potential. 35 penalties was a bit over the top, 
but it always had that potential, didn't it? Indeed, it did. And you know, you look at that game, and then you jump across and look at Penrith putting on thirty-three points against the Cowboys to start the round. Was and I, I put Penrith their play a little bit in the same boat as the Dragons. The physicality of the forward pack, as I watched the opening game of round four, I, I just looked at Penrith and thought, wow, look at their big bodies and look how they're using them. They are belting North Queensland. North Queensland at home, given no room, no luxury. And all of a sudden, it looks like JT and Michael Morgan are struggling. And the others around them are finding life difficult. You go back to that Penrith forward pack. Blocker Roach last week said, I, I really like Penrith. And they need to play in that middle third of the ground, assert their dominance, and then away they go. Well, that's exactly what they did. Mm. And, and you, know, you think of Tamo and Fisher-Harris, and you just keep going on and on and on with their big bodies, and they use them so physically. I, I love what the Dragons and Penrith are doing in terms of that old you know, rugby league cliche. Get on top up front, and the rest will look after itself. Mm. The secret is to winning football, there is no secret. No. It's pretty basic. It's possession. It's defence. If you've got those two, you're going a long way yeah. straight away. If you can score a few points off the back of that possession you've got, then you're in great shape. Yeah. The Tigers are doing that, quite obviously. So are the Panthers. From the Cowboys' point of view, I spent oh, probably an hour, I guess, in, in the hotel foyer up there in Brisbane before they played the testimonial game bet- uh, bet- between themselves and the Melbourne Storm. It was JT and, and Cam the big night for them. And Paul Green, probably his parting words to me was, can you get people to stop tipping us to win the comp? Yeah, right. Because he was worried. And mm-hmm. he said to me, I said to him, is there any any sort of suggestion that there's a hangover from doing so well at the end of last season without JT and without Matt Scott that the boys will be satisfied with what they've done and think, okay, we can rest on our laurels a little bit and there'll be a bit of a hangover? He said, you know, I was a bit worried about that himself after the grand final, but he said their reactions... Uh, in that week or two afterwards, before they all went on a break, he said they were filthy. The players were absolutely dirty that they had that chance in the grand final and didn't go that final step, having done so much to get there. So he said, I don't think I'm worried. I'm not worried that there will be a hangover. They just need to do what they did and don't rest on the fact that we've got JT and Matt Scott coming back. Well, unfortunately for Paul, um, maybe the expectations of being you know premiership favourites and reading their own press, and he mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, that they've read too many headlines, um, and maybe they're just, you know, JT's back, and subconsciously, maybe they're not, they don't think, you know, they have these back, but perhaps they have, because their form is just is not even close to what it was last September. Well, their only win was round one against Cronulla. I called that game. The Sharks were very ordinary that night. Val Holmes had a tough game in the fullback role. And the Cowboys won, but, gee, they were unconvincing. Jonathan Thurston, he looked rusty first game back. But they fell over the line in that game. And since then, they haven't won. So their first month has been really, really poor. Yes, they've got a good roster when you compare what they've added to the one that made the grand final. But now they've lost Jordan McLean. They've lost three straight games. Um, they're, they're in a big hole, and they've got to go to New Zealand this week to play the unbeaten Warriors as part of a double header. Was Tigers against the Storm at Mount Smart, straight into Warriors hosting the Cowboys. There's going to be a huge crowd there, given what the Warriors have done. Might, might go close to a ground record. It should and, do. And the, the Cowboys that could well be walking into an ambush there. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a huge. It's a huge game for them. It is. There are some big games coming up this weekend, but that one for them in particular. And for the Storm, you mentioned the Storm and Tigers, the other part of that doubleheader. I mean, the Storm, there they go, knowing they've been beaten by the Tigers already in round two. They meet barely four weeks later, and the Storm's form, well, it's worse than it was when the Tigers beat them back in round two. They've had a couple of good performances, but 
boy, last week they were pretty average. You know, their handling and their discipline, quite obviously, against the, the Sharks was the worst I've seen for a long, long time from a Melbourne side. It was really surprising. And, and Craig Bellamy, as you mentioned, to his credit um, after the game, he could have gone in there and aerated about referees and penalties, but he did none of that. He just said, look, that'll be a talking point, but we were awful. And they've got a lot to prove against the Tigers. Yeah, because the Tigers, they rank 15th in the league for points scored, right? 57. Only Parramatta are going worse in terms of scoring points than the Tigers. But they've only conceded 45. And that's why they're 3-1 and one and sitting in the top four. Because, yeah, 57 points scored, 45 conceded. So how are Melbourne going to score points against the Tigers? They might not need to score a lot to win, given what... The Tigers are doing in attack, but still, how, how are Melbourne going to score points against the Tigers? I thought after they, they played the first three games, keeping the opposition to, to single-figure points, that the Tigers would end up leaking big time, but well, they haven't really done that yet. No, you know, that, 20 points yesterday against um, Parramatta, and many of them late. Yeah, yeah. They've been really good, and Ivan Cleary, you know, what a, what a first month of the competition under Ivan. You know, here's a team that was meant to be 0-5, given their tough start to the season draw-wise. Yeah, they've only lost the one game. That was in Golden Point controversially. And they've just beaten the Eels 30-20. to 20. Well done. Mm. As, a, as a bit of prep for the, uh, the Tigers and Eels, I went to watch the Tigers train their captain's run on Sunday morning at Concord Oval. And I was talking to Brett Hodgson, the former West Tigers great fullback, of course, premiership winner in 2005, who's been over there coaching in the UK Super League with Winders. And he's back with the Tigers as part of Ivan Cleary's mm. um, assistant coaching staff. And I said to Brett, what is it about Ivan? What, what, from what you've seen so far, what makes him a good coach? Because quite obviously, he's a very good coach. We've known that what he's done with the Warriors. He did great things with the Panthers. Phil Gould thought he might have been a bit tired and decided to make a change there. I think he jumped way, way too early on that particular call. But it's a great pickup for the West Tigers. And Brett said, you know, when he walks in the room, he commands respect straight away. Everyone knows he's a no-nonsense guy. And you can be a no-nonsense guy, but you've got to bring something else with it. And he said he knows footy really well. He's across it. He X's and O's. And the way the game's played and trends and what needs to happen, he says, he's got it all covered. And he said he doesn't waste his words. And he's a fairly quietly spoken guy, Ivan, isn't he? And doesn't sort of you know waffle on and, and not str- struggle to find you know a point when he's making a point in, a, in an interview before the game or after the game. He knows what he wants to say. He knows how he wants to say it. And when he talks in the rooms or a training during the week, he said you could hear a pin drop. He's got their attention, and you can see that on the field, can't you? Yeah, he's a, he's a measured individual. Been lucky enough to do some media work with him when he was outside the coaching yep. ranks, and uh, you learnt very early on when you were talking to him and interviewing him for these media purposes that he knows, he really knows, and he works hard. And no, no matter what tricky subject you asked him about, he dealt with it the same way and with aplomb. Yep. You know, there's no trying to shirk or don't ask me that or no, uh, no, nah, nah, that'll be too. Just let's let's just do it. Let's get it done. And, and he did it the right way. Just uh, you know, a lot of respect and admiration for the way he approaches life. And obviously, uh, rugby league is a big part of that. Yeah, there's a contrast between Ivan, the way he approaches things, and some other coaches. We were talking about the Canberra Raiders last week. I got a bit excited, didn't I? I've got the defibrillator here on standby. Just, I'm, I'm a bit more calm this week uh, because. While they lost again, the Raiders, um, to the Seagulls on Saturday night and what was the Travoyevic show, both mm. Tom in particular, but also Jake. And it's a shame for the Seagulls. They've lost Tom for, it looks like, a couple of weeks with that ankle injury. And they've also been whacked with Curtis Sirinan and also um, uh, Kalebi Tanganua going yep. out with a ACL, both of them for the, the season. That's 
that's diabolical, isn't it? Because Curtis Sirenen was playing very good football again after having missed a lot of games last year with a pec muscle injury. But Ricky Stewart um, wears his heart on his sleeve. He's always done that. I guess he's the complete opposite to what Ivan Cleary is. And he didn't miss them after the game. Now, I put the Redfield pen through the Raiders last week. As I said, if you can do that three weeks in a row, you can't win the comp. You can't make the eight. I've still got the Redfield pen through them. I'm not changing that. Mm. Um, they, they won't, from my, from my point of view, make the eight. They're 0-4. You probably say the same thing about the Parramatta Eels, and there's a bit more upside with the Eels to potentially get going maybe later in the season. But there's so many problems with the Canberra Raiders, and one of them is quite obviously talking about the, the coach and the players at the Tigers being on the same page. Well, I think they're obviously all at sea in Canberra because, you know, Ricky's come out a month into the season and gi- given them the bake of bakes, accused them of being soft, mm. not playing for the jumper. All the usual things you hear from a coach when he when he when he's out of ideas, basically. And I think Ricky is out of ideas as to how he inspires this team to play for the full eighty minutes and put in the sort of effort that the fans deserve and the greats of the Raiders in the past deserve. And he's got massive question marks. Well, actually, I don't think he's even got question marks about his halves. I think he's put he's put the red felt pen through his halves. And I'll be shocked if Blake Austin, Aiden Caesar or Sam Williams, are at the Raiders in 2019, well, you know, I'll give you a good price about any any one of them being there next year. I think he's already scratched them, and he's looking around for halves right now. Well, that's where the problem started. No Hodgson, obviously, so he needed to come up with his 9, 6, 7, and then you interchange 9 or 14. How am I going to work this? And it was basically throwing the balls in the air through the first few weeks as we chopped and changed and no consistency and all of a sudden what you've done pre-season doesn't mean quite so much because who's going to be in your 6-7? Who's going to be your starting 9? Who are you going to bring off the bench? I, I still don't know what their best situation is going to be there. And here they are four weeks into the competition, winless, and yet to answer those questions. Uh, yeah, red felt pens are plenty being wiped at the moment through... The line that reads Lime Green was. Yeah, uh, and they kick off uh, round five, as it turns out, down there at GAO Stadium on Thursday night. The Raiders versus the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs, um, unlucky, I guess, not to get the points against the Rabbitohs on Good Friday. And Dean Pay was pretty upset about some refereeing decisions in that. And, you know, you could argue the toss about a number of calls in that game. They were a bit unlucky at times, uh, the Bulldogs, undoubtedly. But they're 1-3 and three up against the Raiders, who are 0-4. So it's either the Raiders will be 0 and 5 or they'll be 1 and 4 and the Bulldogs will be 1 and 4 off the back of this game. It's a big game for both clubs. I know it's Dean Pay's first season and Ricky Stewart is a club favorite. The CEO Don Ferner is his best mate. They went to school together. Um Ricky's not going anywhere in a hurry. We know that. But they need an evolution down there pretty quickly. Maybe they need a revolution. Mm. Um and we talk about players not making it to 2019. I, you know, again, there's been talk about um, all the halves. You know, potentially maybe not Sam Williams. He's only just come back to the club. But Blake Austin can't get a game in first grade. I think Aiden Caesar, boy, he's a shadow of the player. He can be at his best, and when he's at his best, he can be a very good player. Mm. But his best happens, you know, one every three. You know, over the course of a season, Aiden will produce his best game maybe half the time. The other half of the time. You know, you miss a tackle, makes poor decisions in in attack, and you can't have that if you're going to be a top eight team. And so I think Ricky's already looking. Um, you know, Sean Johnson, if he's back on deck for the the Warriors, Mason Lino, uh, mm. could he be a Raider anytime soon? Who knows? Was well, they've already got uh, 
Adihingano, don't they, at, uh, yep. at the Raiders? You know, he's a warrior who went there to, to be on standby. Yep. I don't know whether he set the world on fire yet in terms of, you know, coming in consistently into that team. But I, I'm looking forward to seeing how the dogs rebound in this game. So I sat sideline on Good Friday when they led the Rabbitohs and, and for all intents and purposes, were going to beat the Rabbitohs. They had some bad luck with Moses Embi being forced out with that head knock. And yep. then their captain uh, was getting spoken to. Uh, Josh Jackson, and wasn't allowed to get back into position in his eyes before play was allowed to continue and led to a try. You look at the final margin, 20-16, to 16, but that, that game sort of had it all with Kieran Foran kicking from in front <laughs> and then putting it into the top corner like a, a soccer striker. It was would. a great penalty take. And then Adam Dewey uh, seemingly blowing it when he missed a kick that he should have kicked, and in the end, Cam Murray saved his blushes by scoring late. So it was, it was a bizarre game. The dogs should feel a little bit... Hard done by there, so I'm keen to see how they rebound. When it comes to plays of the week, the bad one has to be Kieran Foran uh, with that in-front goal miss. But what about Nene McDonald's save at one end of the ground for the Dragons to keep the kickoff in, yeah. a la a cricketer on the boundary? Yep. And then shortly after, at the other end of the ground, again, avoid the sideline to score. He's a freak when it comes to knowing where that sideline is and knowing how to use it. So... There's a good and bad when it comes to plays of the week. It's funny how players like that jump out of the ground. Tim Laffey looks like the player he used to yeah. be because everything around him at the Dragons is happening and they're all clicking and, and yeah, doing miraculous. And when, when you're going well, things like that just happen your way, don't they? And that should inspire Blake Austin. Remember 2015? He scored a hat-trick in City Country. He was being spoken about as oh, a, an origin Origin prospect. potential. And I, I like what Blake Austin can do, yet he'll know that he's making some horrible decisions defensively yeah. and that he's not quite turning up maybe as, as Ricky wants him to. But, you know, he can turn it around. Get back to 2015, Blake, and, and who knows? All right, so that's the, uh, the Bulldogs and the Raiders. Who do you, who do you think? The, can the Raiders break their duck? Well, in Canberra? Against the Dogs, yes. I think time will finally show for the Raiders who will be stinging after that criticism from their coach. They can't go on forever without winning again. Who says it can't be Thursday night? Well, they'll uh, win. You know, if there is no response, if they put in a fairly listless performance again, well, then they might go. They might be 0-10. And then, know, they might be 0-12. I just don't see who they beat if they, if they can't fire up off the back of what Ricky said on, um, on Saturday night. And then, was you'll be on the lozenges afterwards because you're back in action Friday night. Sharks. Roosters. Yeah, fascinating game. Uh, the Roosters, uh, their forms, they are, boy, they go through some savage mood swings at the moment. They're either very good as they were against the Newcastle Knights when it was the Cronk and Keary show, or they were pretty ordinary, weren't they, at the weekend against the Warriors and got off to a good start, scored the first try, but then it was the Warriors who dominated after that. And there was a lack of discipline at times uh, from the Roosters. They got a bit narky. Even Cooper Cronk was losing it a little bit at times in some battles there with Isaac, Luke and others. So, um, yeah, they need to show something. And the Sharks, I'm somewhat convinced about the Sharks. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Josh Dugan will more than likely be back, I would have thought, this week, having missed the game uh, last week against the Melbourne Storm. That's a really t- that's a toss of the coin uh, for me at the moment. I'm going to say, because they're at home, the Sharks, because they play better than they do elsewhere, I think. But... Um, Really tough game to call. The Roosters beaten at home by 24 points by a team that's missing its star player. Mm. How did that happen? And as a result, I expect there to be a big rebound from the Roosters. Using the same sort of method I've come up with the Raiders, I I think the Roosters might be able to uh, steal one from the Sharks. The Dragons, excuse me, the Dragons and the Rabbitohs play um, on Friday night, the second of the two games. Uh, This one at Jubilee at Cogra. And the Dragons... 
uh, with hottest of hot favourites. And can you see the Rabbitohs causing an upset there, or the, do yeah. the Dragons make it 5-0? and oh? You raised horse racing earlier on, was, and one lesson I have learnt, that if you're backing winners, don't jump off them. Stay on them. So St. George Illawarra, four from four, the red V for me against the Rabbitohs. And uh, they've got the Rabbitohs this week, and then they're back to Wollongong for the Sharks. So, um, yeah, I don't see their run stopping any time soon, the Dragons. We spoke about the doubleheader, the Tigers and the Storm, and the Warriors and the Cowboys over there and Auckland uh, very quickly. Who do you think, the Tigers and Storm? Um, Storm, just because I, I, you know, I just think the Storm have to beat the Tigers this season once, don't they? And then, uh, yeah, I, I think the Warriors at home against the Cowboys, I, I just go with the Warriors, given what they've done so far and urged on by what will be a huge crowd was. I'm going to say the Tigers can do it again. Okay. Dale, and importantly, one of the main reasons is that Dale Finucane has a thumb injury and is out now for the Melbourne Storm. And I love, you know, you have players at clubs who you just admire what they do on the field. And Dale Finucane is one of those players for me. I think he's the glue in the middle of the field for the Melbourne Storm. Does so much. Such a good defender. And if I was the origin coach, if I was Freddie Fittler... He is my lock forward. Yeah. I don't care who else is available. Dale Finucane is my lock forward. He's just, he's just made for origin footy. And I know you hear that. I think he would lap it up and be a great player. I think they'll miss him, and I think the Tigers can beat them. What um, scoreline was? Because last time it was not by much. It'll be a similar scoreline. I think if the Tigers okay. are to win, I don't see them winning by any great scoreline, but I think they can beat them. You know who, you know who Dale Finucane reminds me of? Brad Clyde. I know there's, yeah. there's big differences in their game, but when I watch Dale Finucane, I can't help but thinking... Of uh, Brad Clyde repeatedly, yeah, you know Brad probably had him covered as far as his carry of the football yeah. and getting back. You know the work ethic of Brad Clyde was un- unsurpassed, um, and he would get back there and take play two, play three every set. He was the first mm. forward back there to get back and and carry the ball from their own end for the Raiders. Um, the Warriors and the Cowboys. Um, well, I'm guessing we're tipping the Warriors because yeah. I can't see how the Cowboys, given what they've done in recent times, uh, upset the Warriors over there. Given there'll be a, a full house, it'll be an unbelievable atmosphere. And, and let's just get this out of the way. If Sean Johnson is fit, Sean Johnson plays. Oh, of course he does. Right. Of course he does. I did hear some, How much uh, is he earning? Uh, uh, well, put it this way. There's, there's seven figures in it and, yeah. and, and a bit probably. And they seem to be going okay when Sean Johnson was playing, wasn't it? Yeah. The first yeah, three rounds? Exactly. So I think Sean Johnson will be playing yeah, good, uh, if he's good. fit. And I presume he will be fit. Uh, the Knights and the Broncos. Big game for the Broncos. And again at McDonald Jones Stadium... On Saturday night, um, I think this will be a massive test for the Broncos. We spoke yeah. a couple of weeks ago yeah. about the the goalpost pad papering papering over the cracks in the Broncos when they managed to beat Hang On against the Cowboys, and that form line now looks pretty good because the Cowboys aren't doing much, and they almost beat the Broncos that night. And the Broncos they were pretty ordinary, it has to be said, against the Gold Coast Titans. Oh, very. They won the penalty count eleven four yep. and got beaten twenty six fourteen. Uh, nearly three times as many penalties, and you control the position as a result. They dominated the position, the territory. Yet they were beaten by the Titans, who I gave no chance to, having watched them in Toowoomba. Yep. Yet they go to Suncorp and win. That's, that's up there with the Roosters falling to the Warriors. Really impressive. They were great. great good to see the Dolphins uh, Titans bounce back after the week before. Newcastle, even though they were beaten by the Dragons 30-12, to 12, 
Danny Badiris and Mark Gaznier both said that Newcastle are sticking in this. The, the, the Dragons looked like they were going to put uh, 50 on again. We were mm. talking about them raising the 500th try at Wynn Stadium as the joint venture. We looked for a hook to keep people to see. Right. Let's see what's going to happen here at the end. Well, for the last 20 minutes, Newcastle didn't give in. They, they fought. And I know Danny Badiris was really proud about the way the Knights, even though they were beaten, was the persistence and the fight they showed. So if they can go back in front of their own crowd and, and have that, have a few other things go their way. It's going to be a tough day for the Broncos. Yeah, I've got the Knights to win that one at home Good up night. there. Tough night. In front of a, uh, yeah, exactly, in front of a, uh, a very good crowd. Titans and Seagulls. Now, there's no Tom Travojevic, which changes my thinking dramatically with Manly. I'm going to say the Titans. Now, this one's at Marley Brown Oval. In Gladstone. <laughs> the famous Marley Brown Oval. <laughs> Never heard of it, to tell you the truth. Um, but off what they showed against the, the Broncos, mm. uh, the Titans, you know, against the Tom Travojevic um, Less Sea Eagles, I think they beat them. They're, they're a big chance, and, and we come back to our earlier point. How good is it to see sides who are meant to finish in the bottom four picking up wins earlier on? So you know that mid-season and maybe even late season, there's still going to be a, a show. The longer the comp can go without putting red pens through too many teams, the better the competition is going to be. So even if West Tigers or, or the Gold Coast and that sort of ilk, the Warriors have a, a lean trot. They're picking up wins now that will keep them in good stead for June, July, August, we hope. And the Eels and the Panthers round out round five. This one at ANZ Stadium. You're doing this one too, Watts. Home again. Um, I'm doing this one, yeah, on Sunday afternoon. And, you know, the Panthers in the form they're in, yeah, you can't go against them. I'm, I'm guessing you're of the same uh, mindset. Yeah, and you know why? Because I, went, I mentioned the Penrith forwards and just how big they are and how they weren't content just to be big. They wanted to play big. And, and I don't know whether the Eels pack can match that. And, and on current form, it might be a, a long week for Brad Arthur trying to get ready for this one. Yeah, I think the Panthers um, will make it um, four wins from five games and the poor old Eels will be 0-5. And, and that is hard to imagine. You know, they're, they're four and against after four rounds is minus 84. Mm. Uh, of obviously 54 of those uh, were against the Sea Eagles, but minus 84 after four rounds. I'll see you Sunday, actually. I'm sidelined. So, oh, uh, beautiful. I'll, I'll be off the plane from New Zealand, having done those two games. And I, I'm, yeah, that, that's, you know, when it's a Western derby, we, we both work with Greg Alexander, and he talks about Parramatta Penrith. And, you know, they were games that the Panthers wanted to win. Well, the same could go with Parramatta. That's going to be a, a great way to finish round five, a Western Sydney derby. Yeah, and let's hope there's lots of Panthers fans make their way down the M4, get down there and support their team. Uh, we talk about the Manly fans not being great travellers and the Roosters fans, you know, well, being thin in number at times. Mm. But the Panthers fans, um, good crowd up there a couple of weeks ago, quite obviously. Great to see that. I want to see more Panthers fans on the road. It's not that far. No. Whether you're a Seagulls fan going to Homebush or a Panthers fan going to Homebush, or, you know, you support your team. You only get to do it for half the year. You could almost walk there. You could you could catch the train. You could do a number of things. Catching the train's fun. You, can, you yeah. don't have to worry about the traffic. You jump on the train, grab a book, seek a podcast in. You can listen to this again yeah. uh, on the right. way to the game to get yourself fired up. So you Panthers fans, get there and support your team. And likewise, you Eels fans, with your new stadium. Uh, by the day, the updates are incredible. Mm. It gets bigger and bigger. Um, I've, been, I've seen it out of the plane over the have last you? few weeks. and I can see it taking shape. Yeah. And uh, trying to pick the landmarks as you fly in and out of I tell you, It looks like the seating, the rake on the seating looks very steep. So you'll be able to, like, you'll be in the back row, but you'll be feeling like you're right on top of the field. I'll give it that. It looks like a great place to watch from. You might be calling the 2019 season opener there, was. 
Will it be ready for 2019? Oh, well, whenever it's ready. Well, whenever they play their first game there. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, well either of us. Um, that'll be, uh, be an experience. It might be a great one to have the derby again. Eels-Panthers yep. to open up the new stadium there. The Western Sydney Stadium, whatever it's going to be called. I'll be happy to stay at Wynn Stadium in Wollongong with all my Dragons, mate. Your Dragon, <laughs> you big cheerleader, you. Uh, good to finish uh. the way we started. Thank you for listening. Matty, see you next week. See you next week. This has been Take Me Now. I have seen it all. 